Hey, shiny diamonds. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm your host, Angel. I'm your other host, Brandon, and this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. No, because we would not pretend. We're not pretenders. No, or posers, although we've been known to pose. We're not fakes. No, although we've been known to buy a fake. Not me. Well, your day will come. Who are you? I'm Brandon Alter. I am a non-binary queer spirit healer. I am a tarot reader, an astrologer, and a writer, and your husband and the co-host of this podcast, but I already said that. Yes, you did. Who are you? I'm Angel Lopez. Tell Uh, me more. I am a writer and a film producer and a astrology, a teacher of metaphysics, a healer, a guide, a Sherpa. And some trade. Some fierce trade. Oh, well, thank you. You're the trade of the season over here. Oh, that's sweet. And the co-host of this show, is, which I already said as well. And your husband. Oh, right. We're married. We are married. This is your first time listening to our show. Welcome. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Thank you for showing up. We appreciate you. If this is your 900th time, well, we don't have 900th episodes. If this is your 112th time showing up. Is this our 112th episode? I don't know. I just plucked that number from the sky. I know we have more than 100 episodes. We probably have 150. Who knows? <laughs> Not us. Um, we don't keep count of that sort of thing. We don't. We just keep showing up, and we're glad that you're showing up. And right at the top, I want to mention that we are doing something in person. Oh, my God. IRL is Y'all, happening, Y'all, we're doing something in the flesh So if you have wanted to take a class or a workshop with us, we are super excited that on Sunday, March 24th, from noon to five o'clock, we are co-hosting a workshop. And what's it called, honey? Freeing the Inner Healer. Yes. We're going to be working with astrology, particularly with Chiron. And then we're going to bring in some animist practice, working with power animals and working with the inner healer so that you feel confident to be the healer that the world needs you to be. Free the inner healer. Okay, but don't say it like that. Free the inner healer. Now it's starting to feel like a fragrance that Versace sells. Free the inner healer. Inner healer by Versace. (laughs) Actually, that is a phenomenal name for a perfume. Inner healer. Inner healer. Yeah. Well, you can also be the first one to experience our new fragrance. Inner healer. (laughs) Available exclusively. Any hoodle, there's information about this on our website. Uh, There is this amazing, amazing intuitive named Wendy, and we are so thrilled to be partnering with her and doing it um, in her magical garden space. So um, Yeah, so it's in the... Did you say where it was? You know what? (laughs) You know what? Guess what? (laughs) I didn't. We are in the Los Angeles area. So if you are in the Los Angeles area or you want to come visit the Los Angeles area, uh, you can do so at that time. Uh, when you register, you will get the uh, address information. So we're excited. We're super excited. I've been wanting to do like a little mini retreat here in L.A. for so long. And that's kind of how we're going to treat this, like a little bit of a like mini retreat. But 
Um, should we do a little check-in now? Yeah, let's check in. But we just got back from Park City. Yeah, we're very cold. It was very, very cold. I experienced what some of you might know as a winter mix, and I'm not a fan of it. A winter mix? Like a winter, like like a Chex mix? No, a winter mix is what they call it when it's like kind of snow, but also like kind of rain, and it like hurts your face, and it oh, also like know. gets you wet. Yeah, that's basically what we experienced. It was called a winter mix. It's the worst. Yeah, it was not pretty. Yeah, but... But it was pretty. Yeah, I mean, it was aesthetically pretty, but it was cold and wet, and I wasn't wearing a coat that was built for snow. <laughs> no, you weren't. Because the forecast said it wasn't going to be snowy. It was just going to be cold. You can't trust a forecast, honey. Girl, I'm learning. I know. Unless it's our weekly Cosmic Tarot forecast. Then you can trust it. hey When it shows up. Yeah, whenever it decides to show up. <laughs> but yeah, it was great to go to Sundance. Let's just make this a joint check-in. And I was so proud of Angel because he has been working very hard on this movie that he produced. Yes. And it premiered at Sundance and it was such a great screening and the audience was laughing and was so with the film. And I'm just going to say, and maybe it's controversial, but of all the films you've produced in our time together, this uh -huh. is my favorite. Oh, hands down. That's nice to hear. Thank yeah. you. So I'm very proud for you and I'm very excited for you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was like such a profoundly interesting experience, like super fun I really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed just like going to present this new movie. Um, yeah, it was just really enjoyable. I had such a good time. I feel like I learned like some really good lessons about myself too, like how to just like stand in myself and not uh, fear a spotlight. That's always like a big issue for me, I think, in my life, but... Um, I was able to just like comfortably roll into like a little red carpet. I mean, I also know like I'm one of three producers on the movie and like my photo is probably not going to like end up anywhere <laughs> important. So I'm like able to like not have too much pressure around that. Um, but at the same time, um, I am normally a little more like anxious and stressed around that situation. And I was not at all this time. Well, you had like a pretty amazing unflappable stylist to help you. That is very true. I did. And who is that amazing, unflappable stylist? La Roach. It's me, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, La. We had such a good time. Oh, my God. You're too much. <laughs> I will say I also learned a lot of lessons about myself at Sundance. It's a nightmare. Just FYI. <laughs> Sundance is a nightmare. It's yeah. literally, it's my third Sundance, and I honestly would never want to go again. It's a pressure cooker in all, in all ways. But... A pressure cooker can oftentimes be a catalyst for character. And I learned a lot about myself during mm -hmm. the Sundance. I've learned a lot about myself during all of the Sundances. But yeah. this Sundance especially because Pluto went into Aquarius and it was the first day of Aquarius season when we were there, the Saturday of Sundance. Yeah. I was really kind of just like paying attention to what was happening, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, learning a lot about myself through it. Yeah. Um, we had multiple run-ins with Burger. Oh, yeah. If you uh, know <laughs> if Sex, in the, Sex City, in the City fan, uh, the actor Ron Livingston, who yeah. played Burger on Sex in the City, he was on our flight out to Park City. Yeah. He was on our flight back from Park City. He was staying at our hotel yeah. and we clocked him like immediately from the gate. Totally. But then one breakfast, we were standing at like the hostess stand waiting to be seated for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And he was standing there with his two adorable daughters. And he like clocked me and he was like hey man like those are some like really nice rings 
No, he did, I think, say, hey, man, and misgendered me. But that's fine. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna give him a break and just be glad he appreciated my jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. He really, like, appreciated the fit in general. Yeah. Well, honestly, so many people complimented that coat that by the end of it, I was kind of getting annoyed by it. <laughs> by the coat or by people? People complimented me on the coat. Well, that's why you wore it. No, I wear, I dress for me. You dress for attention. That's n- That's actually not true. You harlot. That's actually not true. I dress to feel my power. And oftentimes, that means that other people want to comment. I know, it's hard. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's just like, it, I, I mean, you were with me. Like it, no, I was At a certain you. point, it became like, like when that one guy like wanted to high-five me because of the coat I was wearing, I was like, yo, this is, this oh, is I didn't too see much. That. Yeah, this is a lot. That's funny. But this isn't about me and my coat. Isn't it? Um, No. Actually, that coat needs to be dry cleaned is really... Yeah, I think it really should. <laughs> that coat has been through it. Honey, she looks laid wet and hung dry. Road wet and put away dry <laughs> is the expression that I use that Angel can never remember. I can never remember it. It's just weird. I don't even understand what it means. What was your rose and what was your thorn of Sundance? Oh, my gosh. I think my rose was just getting to premiere the movie like the premiere, the actual premiere of the movie. And even more so, I think like the little party we had afterwards um, where I got to connect with like friends and like friends who had come and seen the movie and who were really supportive and who just kept like giving me so much love. Like that was like so nice because I'm not one who normally, um, I think puts myself in situations where I'm like, trying to get that you know or where that like comes regularly to me so it's just like nice to like feel that um and i think my thorn was the terrible dinner i had on saturday night that was probably my thorn because it was just like three hours and the food wasn't very good and there was a very sick lady sitting next to you sick lady sitting next to me coughing in your face i had a hard time just holding good conversation at that at that dinner but then i also just have to mention the special shout out to our dose of reality fans um that i also uh got to go into the uh meredith marks party that she had at the meredith marks store and i got to see meredith and brooks like share a very funny moment where she just kind of was like so over the whole thing and gave like this little scowl to him and then like a smile and then like and he you could just see that he like knew what she was saying and I knew because I watched the show and it was just like very funny I was literally in there for maybe five minutes and that was all I needed was to watch that exchange between them and then I left without even trying her caviar what was your rose and thorn not trying her caviar which one was that? The rose or the thorn? It was both. <laughs> it was absolutely both. I was just afraid it was gonna give me a tummy ache. Yeah, we're not like caviar gays. Yeah. That's not our that's not our vibe. My rose was seeing you look so handsome and confident on the red carpet. Oh, thank you. And then like on the step and repeat getting your photo taken. I was just so proud of you and very attracted to you and it was just a really beautiful moment. Aww. And I guess my thorn and it's not it's a complicated thorn. It's a, you could say the thorn has two faces. Uh, because it was like an awareness that like 10 years ago, I was in a movie at Sundance. And fairly soon after that, I decided to like stop pursuing acting professionally. And so 
it was just a moment of kind of like recognizing how far away from that world I am, which in some ways is like very bittersweet because I don't regret that decision because I feel like so much more settled and grounded and secure in my life now that I'm not pursuing it. But it also was something that I wanted for so long. And so just like being like confronted with it, that now I like, I'm just like fully an outsider in that realm. Um, that was like, just like something I like had to process. So also just like being outside in that winter mix was a, was a thorn. I like had to wait for like a shuttle for like 20 minutes and there was like no cover and I was just like becoming wetter and wetter. That was also, that was also a thorn. Yeah. But what are you going to do? You made it through the wilderness. Any hoodle, this is a much longer check-in than we expected to do. thousand percent longer. Because we have a really amazing spirit talk uh, with Christina Funkhauser, who is an astrologer, and we just do a really awesome deep dive into Pluto and Aquarius and Jupiter and Gemini, the two kind of major transits in the first half of 2024. But whatever, it's supersized. Deal with it. Yeah. But we want to try out a new little segment just for fun <laughs> that we're calling... The, the gayest thing I did. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Girl. Oh. So this segment is where Angel and I just like think about our lives since we've last been together as a community. And we just share the gayest thing that we've done since then. Alright, so what is the gayest thing you did recently? Well, there's a tie like one of the gayest things i did was like go and get like my fancy expensive japanese gel manicure just for the sundance film festival and then like proceeded to like be the like most popular person in the nail salon because like everybody just like wanted to talk to me that was felt like pretty gay i know that's hard well get all that attention no that was fine because we were all just we were all just like having a nice i was having a conversation with one person and then because our conversation i think seemed like a lot of fun another person wanted to join in that conversation and then before i knew it and i was also sitting like literally like in the middle station so then i was just like talking to people on either side and i was like oh my gosh i'm really like the bell of the ball here at the well, that's when you studio just turn to one of them and say no 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 i no, you I, can't. I enjoyed it. I wanted it. It was fun. I'm just kidding. But the other gayest thing I did was try everything that I could possibly do to meet Meredith Marks at Sundance Film Festival. That was pretty gay. I mean, like, as soon as I found out that she was throwing a party with Glad at her store, I emailed a friend of ours, or no, I texted a friend of ours, and I was like, who's um, very involved in Glad, and I was like, is there any way you can get us on the list for this party? Like, I, like, the only thing I want out of this Sundance is to meet Meredith Marks. And so then we got on the list for the party, but that was the only night that I could have dinner with, like, my very, very, very best friend who never listens to this podcast. Um, but that's fine. It's fine, you guys. I'm not mad about it at all. Uh, and so I decided to choose my best friend over Meredith Marks. And so Angel went to the party after his terrible dinner and was unable to meet her as well because she was barricaded by a bunch of muscle gays. But I uh, did not get a <laughs> selfie with Meredith Marks, which is really what I wanted, which I guess like that is the distillation. The gayest thing that I've done recently is just desperately try to get a selfie with Meredith Marks. But Angel did bring me a cocktail napkin <laughs> from the party that has her logo on it. And I will cherish that napkin until I lose it. That's sweet. In fact, where is that napkin? Where exactly. Did I put it? it's, it's no, I'm just lost. kidding. Honestly, you want I put it in my like little spiritual notebook. 
Oh, cute. I know. Even though, like, Meredith March is, like, the least spiritual person on the <laughs> planet. But God has blessed her because she brings us a lot of joy. All right. Well, tell us the gayest thing you did. I made my own three and a half hour long playlist. Um basically of the songs I wish were on the Madonna celebration tour set list. (laughs) And I have been working tirelessly to order them in the way that I (laughs) wish she would be performing them. Um, Very few of my selections actually align with the tour set list of, you know, the actual tour that's currently happening um, all across the uh, North America. Um, and I will be seeing in about, well, two months from now. Um, but yeah, and I have to whittle it down, obviously, because no tour should, unless, I mean, well, Taylor Swift's era's tour, but I mean, Madonna couldn't, you know, I'm sure two and a half hours is just, is, is probably already too long for her, which is what she's currently doing. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Honey, that is honestly the gayest thing I've heard in a really long time. So congratulations. You won this round. Thank you. I'm passionate about it. I wish I had a button that just like did like studio applause, you know, (laughs) and it'd be like, ah, winner, winner. I just want to say if anyone else out there is doing the same, please share it with me because I'd love to see yours as well. All right. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll be back after this interview with our tarot card for the episode. But we hope you enjoy this episode's Spirit Spirit Talk. All right, gazers, we are here in the spirit room with Christina Funkhauser. We are so happy to have her here. Christina is an astrologer, a writer, and the host of the Skies and Currents podcast. So... You will definitely be vibing with her, and you should go and find out what else she's talking about on her podcast. So welcome, Christina. Hello. It's so nice to be here with you guys. We're so happy to have you. Yeah. And Christina and I actually worked together like many, many Mercury retrogrades ago. (laughs) It's so funny you bring that up because I was thinking about this this morning. I think you're the first with you as the first like professional interview I ever had like after graduating from college was, oh wow really yes <laughs> yeah I had only worked in restaurants and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life somebody was like here uh, uh interview for this internship at participate and it was with you it was my first professional interview oh my gosh that's so funny and you both like masqueraded as like normal entertainment people <laughs> totally. for so long Just and on our normie core what a relief I that know. you're both out of the cosmic closet now here as thank, astrologers thank god yeah <laughs> what a weird time and place to think of like back then just being this weird little creature floating around like i'm a saturn uranus first house person so i present like super normal Uh and you know it's just like oh there's just an unassuming millennial mom over there (laughs) nothing weird about her (laughs) and then you're with me for more than an hour and you're like oh okay yeah that's a weirdo that's a uranus girl (laughs) well we want to start by asking you how you came into astrology and your journey therein so do you mind telling us a little bit about your story 
Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I started practicing, I want to say around 2017. Um, but it was really the birth of my son that got me into astrology. He was born in 2015. That's around when I started practicing. And um, it was part of like a huge spiritual transition for me. So I grew up in San Diego in a very conservative Christian environment. And I went to Christian school and I was, yeah, like just a person who always took the divine and spirituality into, you know, in consideration of my context, religion very mm -hmm. seriously, you know, and it was always a big part of my life. But obviously, I started deconstructing a lot of what I had learned, a lot of the dogma in college. And then as a young 20 year old, I was trying to make the religion work still because it was deeply important to me and felt really foundational to who I am and my relationship to the divine. But I just, I couldn't make the dogma work anymore. You know, I'd run up against too many obstacles and I tried to find so many ways to kind of like, you know, make it fit. Um, and, you know, even to the point of living in Echo Park in LA as a, a totally hipster life, you know, working at a media company and going to this like small activist church and trying to, yeah, just trying to fit it into my life. And ultimately, even though I loved all the people there and the community there, it just didn't, it didn't explain enough. It didn't fill me. And there was too many contradictions. And so probably in my mid-20s, I kind of just let spirituality go, or I tried to. <laughs> um, but obviously that, you know, that never really stuck. And around the time I got pregnant, when I was 27, it all rushed back in. Like I couldn't, I couldn't keep it out anymore. I had to face it directly. I had to go into the depths. And I found astrology I think as one of the first gates into that shift um the same time around the same time I I was I was reading like Elaine Pagels and trying to make sense of different views of Christianity um but astrology became like a language that I could interact with and understand on a really deep level in a way that even I couldn't process um and so yeah what happened was my son was born and I had some friends who were practicing Vedic astrology and they offered to give him a reading and I was like okay sure you know I didn't know anything about astrology at the time and if anything I was probably a, a disbeliever because I only mm. knew a very shallow version of it and so they gave my son a reading and I was just hooked like fascinated by what was happening and i remember not understanding but really wanting to understand how the system worked um and it just hooked me in and so you know for that first year of being like a mushy stay-at-home mom i spent a lot of time you know on the internet just doing surface level research um and then I started reading books and then I started listening to podcasts. And what I found was that 
the language of it, the the artistry of astrology, the system, like the chart, the cycles, it all it made like a deeper sense than even you know our spoken language because I'm just like dyslexic. So it was like I could sink into it in a way that just worked and felt it felt deeper like beyond this life like I could just it just knew what it meant like I would hear it and it would download and I understood it and I knew it um and I started practicing practicing is like reading people's charts who I who I knew and then it just exploded like people started asking me for readings and was became more than I could handle um and that's when I started maybe around 2017 like just a very loose practice of pay what you can and then that unspooled from there and grew bigger and then during the pandemic um I took on a much deeper more formal study with uh I took Austin Coppock's class he's one of the teachers on that's frequently on um I don't know he's a very very well-known astrologer yeah he's the one Um, with the personality Yes. (laughs) He's got a personality. Um, Austin has the ability to give astrological darshan. And what I mean by that is when you hear it, when you hear him speak about it, it's like a gift that you're getting from someone who has deeply assimilated the knowledge into their form. You know, and so when you, when, at least for me, when I, when I hear the explanation come from his mouth, it's like it hits my system on a deeper level, on a level that's not mental. And it kind of just sinks and clicks in. And that was Mm -hmm. my experience with his class. And during lockdown, I started writing a ton about astrology and engaging with a new audience online, which I had never done before. But then I also sort of, sunk a lot deeper into my Christianity deconstruction and my spiritual life, my spiritual worldview blew open in a way that was much bigger than my astrological practice. So it's sort of taken me a couple of years to really make sense of how to fit astrology into the larger picture of my spiritual practice. Hmm. Um, and I finally am starting to feel like, oh, okay, I understand what this piece is for. You know, I understand what I want to do with it and I understand how to relate to it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey with a lot of phases, um, but I've been really lucky to just have a slowly building community around it and client base that has been so supportive and felt really communal and that's what I really wanted when I started practicing was this almost like a temple community you know where I felt like I could not just be uh, that could be more than just a practitioner who's selling readings but someone who's sort of giving to a community on a regular basis and uplifting with the information that I have um and just yeah, so supporting supporting the community through this 
lens that I have access to. And even if it's just a bare minimum of like, hey guys, look, you're going to feel really bad today and that's okay. It's not your fault. Right. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong. Um, just giving my community regular access to my understanding of the sense of time and how it might feel in their life and how it might uh, lift them up or drag them down in the moment. But just giving them access to that information so they can feel more solid and grounded. And I think that alone is sort of makes me feel like I'm contributing in a way that's positive. So, Yeah, it's service. In the same way that like you talk about your teacher giving you gifts of like assimilated information, you're doing the same for your community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I hope. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, starting the podcast is just an extension of that. But, but yeah, I, astrology is spiritual community. Yeah, well, both ruled by Aquarius, right? I, at least in my oh. mind, I feel like astrology is ruled by Aquarius. Like it's a very like, oh. Aquarian thing and spiritual community feels very Aquarian. So it makes sense to me that like, it's both. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I mean, I was just sort of doing some research into Pluto and Aquarius and learning about all the jumps that astrolo astro astrological information systems tend to make when Pluto passes through Aquarius. So Think you are absolutely right about that and just to be clear so you have both a background in vedic and western astrology and so you're pulling from both systems when you're looking at the sky so i am not a vedic astrology and i haven't studied vedic astrology in depth but i love vedic astrology it was like and a I gateway drug <laughs> yes so <laughs> i came in through vedic to a certain extent, um, because of the reading that my son received. But I practice Western with a focus on the ancient techniques and uh, the ancient rulership system, which is kind of similar to Vedic in a lot of ways. Um, but in my spiritual practice, I am very open and cozy with many of the Vedic devas and devis. Um, so I love the way that the Vedic system can enrich my understanding of the planetary intelligences and their relationship to different forms of, uh, their relationship to different devas. And the Vedic system just has a much richer relationship to those entities and their personalities and their yeah. you know relationship to humans would you so, explain what a deva is just for our community who's listening and they're like what is a deva uh, <laughs> not a diva um, gazers a deva <laughs> so a deva um would be a male form of a deity and a devi would be like a female form of a deity even right. though i don't necessarily think any of the gods are gendered that female. way yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not gendered but, um, you know, if, if a, a deva appears with a male face, we'll call him a deva, a devi would be with a, a feminine form. Got it. Uh, you know, we just had, was it your first Vedic 
astrology reading or have you you know you've had one before yeah but it'd been a long long yeah time. we found this great astrologer we're gonna try to have him on the on the show based out of new york and he gave us both separately vedic astrology readings and it was mm. just so fast it's like different maps for the same territory yeah and so for those for angel night like we know our charts so well in the western system to have right. somebody talk to us through the vedic system and it's you know sometimes different signs that you're being told your placements are in and yet it's kind of the same message coming through it was very it was very very cool yeah and the relationship to cycles that i think is more prominent in right. that side of things like i i love that because that that's probably my favorite aspect of astrology is just like the cyclical nature of it and what the cycles can right. teach us you know as as the planet does it's one twelve 28 year you know, like yeah. time you know transit around our charts like i just find those cycles so fascinating so I, I love that like direct more direct connection to that yeah well i think within the vedic system there's a huge emphasis on remediation and uh sort of what the cycles karmically represent and how you can intervene in the cycles mm -hmm. and change your relationship to them and change uh process the karma and therefore change the outcome um so it it's interesting in that respect because i don't think the western system kind of has anywhere near as developed of of tools um for remediation and for sort of interpolating yourself into those cycles and and trying to process through the difficulty quicker so that the next time the cycle comes around it's a different context yeah um but you know i think both systems have their strengths and and weaknesses um but there are certain things like that the vedic system is just is a, a lot more rich in and i think it's the mythology um and certain sort of planetary intelligences like uh, uh, Rahu and K2 or the north and south node of the moon. They've basically just adopted the Vedic interpretation of those mm -hmm. um, of those intelligences because it just it's to my mind much richer and more accurate. And what I found is that even though like they use a different um, zodiac, right? They, they use this um, sidereal zodiac so it's like you guys said it's different like your your planets are going to fall in different signs um so you sometimes can't... yeah sometimes well i'm still an aquarius sun in either system and i was like well that's right no matter how you, no matter how you look at it she's still an aquarius yeah you can't you can't uh get rid of that but yeah no i think that um the symbology and the mythology of the vedic system you can almost directly like take as many pieces as you want of that and apply it to your interpretation of a western chart you can't you know mix up the you know the uh, tropical zodiac with the sidereal zodiac but you can take the mythologies and you can like draw different meanings i think and deeper meaning um in some in certain cases yeah so all right. Well, we didn't bring Christine here to talk about divas and devas. We really brought her here to help us unpack what we're kind of looking at is like the major transits or 
I like your use of the word gateways that are kind of happening in 2024. And the first right. thing that we really want to draw you out in conversation about is Pluto in Aquarius. So we know that Pluto entered into Aquarius last year for a little teaser trailer and then right. backed out into Capricorn and will later on this year spend another like two and a half months in Capricorn, just tying up loose ends and giving us Aquarians a little last relief before it's in Aquarius for the next 20 yeah. years. It's like the full trailer now is coming out. This yes, year. exactly. No. <laughs> um, and then in 2025, it will be in Aquarius for, I think it's, it's 20 years, right? Isn't that the cycle? Yeah. I think it's 20 years from now. So yeah, a long time, a long yeah. time. So how do we start to find our way into this transit? Oh man, I am feeling it so hard personally, because like I said, I have a, a, I told you guys before we started recording, I have an Aquarius moon um, at six degrees. So I was hoping it would take a couple years before I would really <laughs> feel it. But no, no, I'm feeling it right away. Um, oh gosh, I have so much to say about this. But um, I think that this month is really critical to understanding not just what this transit is about for you individually, but how important or um, how big the transit is going to be for you in your life. Um, I think, you know, when any planet enters a sign but, or ingresses into the sign, to use a technical term, they make an announcement. You know, they kind of announce themselves. And you can really imagine it like someone coming to your house. I think, um, you know, if, if it's the moon or a lunar person, they might not even knock. They might just like come in, you know, <laughs> um, but an outer planet like Pluto, who hasn't been to Aquarius in 200 something years, you know, you're going to feel it in the days leading up. And then there's going to be this huge announcement period because, you know, it's not someone you see all the time. It's someone you've maybe never met or only met when you were a little kid, <laughs> made a big impression, you know. And so we're in this long announcement period um, where Pluto's kind of walked through the door and going to make himself very comfortable in the space. Um, and I think that it's a really critical time to pay attention to what fears are arising in you that are new or ha or becoming more extreme or haven't been felt in a long time because those fears that you're feeling bubble up inside that's the stuff that you're gonna have to engage with on and off at different periods of intensity for like the next 20 years <laughs> um cool, and cool, cool. great yeah thrilling <laughs> But it's like not, and I say that not to scare people, right? But to, because there really isn't anything to be scared of. Pluto isn't going, Pluto's going to spotlight something that's already occurring or something that's already there um, and make you engage with it and feel it in a different way. But, and you're not going to, like whatever is coming up now is not going to feel this level of intense for 20 years. But this Aquarius period is kind of like the welcome party of Pluto, right? You're going to start, you're going to feel, what is tomorrow, Thursday, um, the 
25th, we're going to feel the first full moon opposing Pluto. Okay, what does that feel like? You know, and then we're going to feel the first Mercury conjunction to Pluto and Aquarius, and then the first Mars conjunction, and the first Venus conjunction. So more than anything, I think it's just a period to pay attention. Like, don't take any dramatic action. Don't, um, you know, uh, don't let your fears, don't let any any fear or discomfort come up, lead you to any specific action right now. Just feel it. Just pay attention to what it is. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Um, so I feel like for our listeners, maybe we can like zoom out a little bit and yeah. just talk your understanding of Pluto and your standing, your understanding of Aquarius and what are like some of the general themes or things that we might look for in our own lives, but also collectively, especially because Aquarius right. is a sign that rules the collective. So right. I don't know, maybe we like just kind of all go around the circle here and just kind of like <laughs> talk some of our like Pluto keywords and then we can do it for Aquarius. Yeah. So why don't you start, sure. Christina? Yeah, so when I, my understanding of Pluto is he's sort of like the gate. He he opens these little portals to the underworld. So we go through the portal in order to go through a change process. So change or transformation would be my first Pluto keyword word. And then as we descend, the first thing we hit is fear. Um, the next thing we hit is power, like our own power and the power of others. Like it's like power struggle. Um, is is a definitely a key concept for Pluto. And then my next big sort of Pluto theme is is depth. So taking us into deep unseen places. Um, so I love that metaphor mm -hmm. because I think people hear the underworld and they immediately assume like death in terms of like no longer being in the physical plane as opposed to death as it exists like in the tarot which is more about like an ego death or a death of right. a way of being an identity death and i think the gateways that pluto opens up to the underworld are like our own underworlds right like exactly. um Absolutely. you know the floors beneath the basement in our own psyche or spiritual temples or even our own hearts where we we didn't understand there was so much more space to inhabit right this the it's the unseen places the places we shy away from because we're either not comfortable with them or simply not ready to deal with them yet you know a lot of astrology is about timing and it's okay if you haven't been ready to deal with it yeah well yeah the timing wasn't right but it time. is now yeah yeah. <laughs> well, yeah whether you like it or not yeah. yeah but yeah i i i love especially how you're um how you were illustrating it, this sort of like, you know, layered uh, descent into Pluto, right. you know, because they're like depth is such a word that lives for me with Pluto, you know, because it takes us into like the depths of our psychology or the depths of our physical or sexual natures, you know, it, 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 which like you said, kind of have to, you have to pass through kind of fear and power and what are your relationships to those things in order to, to get to that underneath of what is really at the core of your psychology or at the core of your sexual being. Um, I think it's like, 
I don't know, the, the term that was coming to mind for me, which I don't even know if it makes sense, is like sort of the, psych, the psyche of the soul is kind of like right. Pluto, you know? Because at the very bottom of that, it feels like we're just left with kind of our bare soul. And I've always thought of like, Pluto is kind of like trying to like transform us at the depths of our soul, you know, to kind of help us get more in touch with that core sense of us, you know? It's like, we got to clear out all this stuff so we can kind of hear the like that pulse signal yeah of our soul <laughs> you know um and what it's trying to i mean i don't know if a soul's really talking but you know it's <laughs> it's definitely trying to like embody right <laughs> uh, it's communicating we yeah just don't always know how to listen to it right yeah i'm just kind of meditating on one system that puts Pluto as the contemporary ruler of Scorpio mm -hmm. and this idea that like Scorpio really is a truth seeker in a different way than Sagittarius is like Scorpio is a detective and it really wants to get to the essentials of what's happening and sometimes that means that you're getting rid of or refining trimming the fat essentially and so I think Pluto is doing that for us too. And what you're talking about, Angel, like the psyche of the soul, like getting to the nuts and bolts of who you are, like in a, in a way that maybe you can't even articulate because how do you articulate like, you know, like the name of your soul? It's, it's probably something that doesn't have contemporary language. Right. And that can be really scary because you're having to strip away all of the artifice that you've created so that you can move in the world with ease, you know, and like right. go and buy things and engage with people. But it's useful because there is a lot coming up now with this grand announcement of Pluto and Aquarius that feels very scary. And it's very easy to think of Pluto as this like scary, malefic figure. But when we can kind of engage with Pluto as an intelligence, an essence that's wanting us to meet ourselves on the deepest level and then go from there, it's actually quite a blessing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Pluto will call us into change and into transformation and into deeper relationship with ourselves. It's just very much up to the individual a lot of times and, and how much they're able have the capacity to or how much it makes sense for them at the time to thread in th to thread the needle as deep as they can or want to go you know because i think pluto will kind of break up the surface for you and that process of breaking up the surface is part of what brings up the fear. Sometimes it can correspond to challenging events. Sometimes it just <laughs> corresponds to really wild times. You know? um, but, you know, it's kind of up to the individual how, how many rungs they want to climb down to see what's really down there. And I, and I really, I like your comparison of like Scorpio truth and sagittarian truth because i feel like sagittarian truth is sort of the tr truth of jupiter and it exists in the context of mythology and and different belief systems and you know what can we learn from this story it's big storytelling you know what kind of 
truth do we find in the story or in the journey? Um, whereas I feel like with Pluto, there's a lot less artifice. Yeah, it's just like, who did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you think, Christina, that where one's own native Pluto is influences how a Pluto transit is experienced? Yes. Because I was just meditating on like, what was happening for me on Saturday, the day that Pluto moved into Aquarius? And my Pluto is in Scorpio, but it's in the seventh house. And I was thinking to a dinner I had with like my literal oldest best friend and his partner. And the conversation took like a very deep turn that like nobody was prepared for. And yet there we were. And we had to kind of like find our way through it and out. And, and I was like, oh, that was my seventh house, Pluto and Scorpio making this small group of people have to deal with it. You know, now my best friend is also born, you know, very close to me. So he also has Pluto and Scorpio, but it ain't in his seventh house where he has to deal with it with other people on a one-on-one basis. So I was just wondering that might be useful for people listening. Oh, yeah, I absolutely think that's true. And I, I find it with a lot of the slower moving planets, it's easier to track how they kind of carry the signification of the natal placement as they transit other places in the chart. And um, with Pluto, like I, I have Pluto in the 12th house in Scorpio. So <laughs> most of my big Pluto transits have all revolved around spirituality uh you know who i who am i when i am absolutely alone you know what is the depths of my soul um and you know i i just i i'm just having pluto come off of my son like uh, and i have had an opposition to my son from pluto for the last like several years and it absolutely corresponded with like big internal spiritual transformation for me so yeah, I, I see that in my own life. I see it in clients' lives. Um, and that's part of why it's like, for me, I'm like, oh yeah, Pluto is trying to take me to the depths of my soul. But I also recognize that that's not always, that's not going to be the case for everybody. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. going to have a different relationship and a different natal, uh, there's this different natal promise, you know, <laughs> of where Pluto is really going to drill into your life and what's really important to be revealed. And when it also, as an astrologer, gives me some, um, you know, empathy for the times at which clients are like, you know, I'm just closing the door on this Pluto and I'm just going to leave them in the room. Like, I'm not going to look at him. It's not that important to me. I don't want to go there. The vibes are icky and weird in there, you know? And so that's where I feel like there is a lot, there is some agency with Pluto um, and the degree to which you want to engage with him, um, I I find, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to just dive into Pluto and Aquarius and, like, the themes that we think are going to be with us for the next 20 years because Angel and I have already started having this conversation. And so I kind of want to just bring one out and we can talk about it and then move on from there. But to me, there's a lot of group think that I'm seeing that feels very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of talking about 
this TV show called The Traders. I don't know if you've watched it at all, but it's basically, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> so basically The Traders is, it's a US remake of a UK show, but basically you get a bunch of people and you put them in a castle in Scotland and three of them are traitors. And every night they murder one of the faithfuls, but nobody knows who the traitors are. And so then every day somebody dies and they have to go into a round table and they each have to vote for one person to be a traitor. And then that person is put into the circle of truth and they reveal if they're a traitor or a faithful. And what's very interesting, it's a microcosm, it's a reality television <laughs> show. But to me, I'm like, okay, this is actually really important because what you see is that people are very afraid to be thought of as a traitor themselves. So what they do is they kind of like align with whatever is the most popular accusation at the moment because they don't want to be put on the hot spot. And so this group think that we see also like we were talking about it in terms of just like movie reviews or like hot takes and it's there's not a lot of research that's happening it's just like the loudest voice and then everybody kind of aligns with it because you don't want to be canceled for going against it right, right. and so i just think that is not new but it feels like it's getting more and more heightened and more and more dangerous like angel brought up a, a tweet that happened yesterday about somebody saying in response to the Barbie movie, like the oh, fact yeah. that, what was it? Just the, the, yeah, the Barbie movie. And they were like, you know, somebody tweeted the, something along the lines of, of course, you're going to nom only nominate the one male performance in this yeah. movie full of um, amazing women. And it had like hundreds of likes and retweets, but then like four comments down or, you know, responses down was like, but America Ferreira got nominated. And then that person, the original person just responded, oh, oops, my bad. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just found that so funny because it was like, that's exactly like an example of just like somebody, yeah, immediately seeing one thing, putting it out there to get a bunch of attention and, and galvanizing a whole army of people behind them and then being reminded of a mistake in their calculation and saying, right. oh, sorry, moving on. I'm not going to delete that though, because it has yeah, a lot no. of comments and likes. <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of force behind it because of all the people that have already engaged with it. It's almost exactly. like an occult effect that people are trying to have with words right now. It's yeah. like the only magic that we have collectively or something is like what we say, and everyone's trying to like make those words do something, you know. And I don't know. It is a very odd. It's a very odd moment we're in, but I think you're exactly right, Angel, when you said it's not new, but it's becoming more dangerous. And I think that's exactly what Pluto does is that he's going to create a charge around all of the themes of Aquarius, right? And suddenly the, coll like the collective viewpoint or, you know, competing collective viewpoints, they're going to have a lot of power um but there's also going to be a backlash to that you know so it pluto kind of will charge both sides they'll charge it'll he'll charge up the power around an entity and then he'll charge up the backlash to it so i think you're gonna see a lot of um i think you're gonna see a lot of people talking about this exact issue of like the the uh the dangers of collective ignorance um, and or the dangers of uh, bandwagoning. Yeah. So 
bandwagoning. Yeah. That's a good that's a good term because that also like suggests the safety that people feel when they get on the bandwagon. Yeah. Which is a yep. lot of like what I see, you know, like it's it's very vulnerable and it's very uh you're very exposed when you don't have a big group around you believing what you believe. Yeah. Which is also very Aquarius in some ways too, which is to like be an independent thinker to go against the grain. Right. But then I was the shadow just... of Aquarius is 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 the opposite, right? Which is we all have to think the same thing. Right. And I think that that is, that's one of the, I was trying to think around this conversation last night. He wrote down like fear of your difference. So like fear mm. of expressing your difference um, and this is the thing is like, there's these stages with Pluto. There's like the fierce stage and the power stage and the depth stage, right? So some people are going to charge right past that fear stage and they're going to be like, oh, I have a lot of power in expressing what only I know and what only I, the way in which only I am understanding this particular thing. So yeah, I think that that's another place where a lot of people are going to start to feel the pressure of Pluto is in those uncomfortable places where you know you don't agree with mm. what's being said, you yeah. know, and you're not quite sure of the best way the, to articulate it. You're not sure of a safe way to articulate. You're not sure of what kind of backlash you might receive from articulating it because we live in a culture that like on the external um, or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a big subculture that is all about exalting difference. Right. You know, like, but there's also a tendency to kind of want the, want there to be like a, a blessed groups of different people. You know, mm -hmm. like you can be different in this way and that's good. Right. We like that. And you can be different in this way and that's good. We like that. But I think with Pluto moving into Aquarius, you're going to see like the sharp fear that will start to accumulate around truly independent thought. And how do we feel about that? Like something that's outside of the boundaries of the the group uh the group designations right it's yeah. like you can have any of these 31 flavors of ice cream and that's okay and then somebody's like but i just want chocolate cake and you're like yeah. well no 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 you have to choose ice cream you know yeah mm -hmm. so it'll be it'll be interesting for sure um i kind of see i see aquarius as all future time like that to me is like the most, the the simplest way of wrapping up Aquarius. Um, like if Cap, if I see Capricorn and Aquarius as the signs of Saturn, I think of Capricorn as past time and all of the traditions of past time that create the structures of the future. Or create the structures of now, excuse me. Um, and I see Aquarius as like all the thought and ideas um, and ideating and the sort of the process of imagining the future. And in order to imagine the future, we have to be different, right? We have to come up with new, innovative ideas. 
And that's a lot of what you see Aquarians really circling around is this almost kind of like systematic approach to what is the newest best idea and I think that's where the collectivism really comes in more than anything is like what's the best idea for the future for everyone and um so I I I think part of what Pluto might do when he starts to make his new home in Aquarius and redecorate and you know um I I think he might sort of blow up a lot of our ideas about the future and I think a lot of astrologers are interpreting that as like oh fear of AI and fear of robots and fear of technology and fear of futuristic things, which I think is true. And I think we'll see some of that, especially in the collective. But I think in a very basic level, what you're going to experience, what we will all go through, I think I might be bold enough to say even in the next like 30 days, is our ideas about what we think the future is for ourselves personally and for everyone to be challenged in a big way that's kind of uncomfortable yeah yeah that's very good christina that's very very good yeah i think that's really interesting um so to even think that this whole notion around ai it's like we don't even we've we've hypothesized all these ideas of what it is going to create in our lives but we haven't even really it's like meanwhile there's a whole other reality that is wanting to surface or or will begin to surface right or come down from out of the sky or come down from out of the sky <laughs> leave it to the aquarius stellium over here to be like okay but when are we going to talk about yeah, well yes. yes aliens where are they coming <laughs> i mean you know we already saw that i don't know when you know, it all was. the alien, was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. It was during that first teaser trailer of Pluto and Aquarius where we got that, mm -hmm. like, for, but it was like the congressional hearings or something, and it was so... Just kind of came and went. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is going to be a lot of... I think this is going to be a lot of what people are struggling with most acutely in their life, but I think it's... <laughs> I think it's going to be especially rough or um, present in the next two years as Saturn finishes his transit through um, Pisces because Saturn is the ruler of Aquarius, right? And, <laughs> you know, whenever a planet enters into a new sign, at least in the style of astrology I practice, one of the things I'm looking at is what is the condition or the situation of the ruler of that sign? And how is that going to affect this transit? And so... <laughs> I'm just imagining Saturn in Pisces out of aspect from Aquarius, right? So in technical terms, that kind of means like Saturn can't talk to Aquarius. You know, he's like, he's sending emails to Aquarius. Like he rules Aquarius. He owns the property. He's the Lord of the land, right? 
but he's like doing flood damage or something in Pisces and he's sending emails and he's like, don't let Pluto redecorate. Don't let Pluto have an extra set of keys, but they're not going through. You know, like he can't, <laughs> he can't get a hold of anyone there. You know, he might have also been a little overserved. So he's yes. you know, having trouble. <laughs> he's overserved. He's in Pisces. He's underwater. He's dealing with people's feelings. He's like, I'm Saturn. I don't care how you feel. Why are you telling me this? He's with Neptune. Neptune is a big obscuring influence, right? So a lot of what, what we're going to see with the first couple of years of Pluto is like straight up Pluto just doing whatever he wants. Totally. And we're, yeah, we're all nobody's there be, to check him. No one's there to check him. And we're all just going to be like, is this is this real? Like, this can't be real. But Saturn who's the influence in the sky who literally is in charge of telling us if something is real is hanging out with Pisces or hanging out in Pisces with Neptune. So he doesn't right. know either. So when does Saturn move into Aries? Is it next year, 2025? Um, or is it 2026? Yeah, I'm just no, like, all of a sudden now I'm looking right, forward to that sextile. I'm like, when <laughs> does Saturn sextile Pluto and say like, dude, the first you've check gone too yeah. far. You've gone totally. too far and you got it like, you know, you're not getting your security deposit back, buddy. This was not yeah. part of the lease agreement. Nope. I, I, I keep imagining. Um, oh, I think it, for to answer your question, it's 2025. I think he makes his first ingress into Aries and then he retrogrades back. And I think 2026 okay. is the beginning of the primary transit. But, yeah. but it was also... I mean, excuse me, Saturn's not super comfortable in Aries. So it might yeah. actually be and not be until he enters into Taurus when he gets like Pluto gets the full the full check from the, the square. Wrist. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's gonna be a lot of like this is this real? Can this be real? Is this what the future is? Is this like is this really happening? And just people having no idea. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's interesting, though, then to to translate that to just your own life, you know, for everyone right. to look at their own life from that perspective of perhaps entering into experiences and circumstances where it's like, is this real? Like, is this actually where I'm heading? Like, am I actually making this happen? Because there is a sense of power, too, right, that comes with it. And so I'm curious, like, if if we you know, choose to be the powerful, independent voice who stands up and says something, and then that suddenly propels you into some crazy new circumstance of life. Yeah. Like, that could be very challenging to then be like, oh, shoot, is this, is this actually what's happening right now? It's, it's interesting Absolutely. to see that connection for, for people. Yeah, I'm kind of seeing it as a time when we're all going to have to be pretty courageous about what it is that we're doing and aligned with our you know deep the deepest you know the deepest sense of our purpose and our self and especially you know if you know your chart looking at where Aquarius so what part of your life Aquarius rules is probably a really good um, thing to do at this moment but I do think even though, you know, we can't get Saturn on the phone, um, 
I think Pisces is one of the most courageous signs. Um, and I think that that's what we'll have to draw from Saturn. It's just the foundation of our own courage to go into the unknown, you know, through the real futuristic fun house <laughs> that <laughs> Aquarius, you know, Pluto um, might have in store for us. And just, you know, accept that we don't know what will come out of our Aquarian efforts. But if we're doing them on the foundation of our own, like, courage and our truest, the truest sense of ourselves, then the outcome matters less, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just riffing here. And I know Saturn's out of aspect, but I do think if you can't get Saturn on the phone, he is in Pisces. So like maybe you can meet him on the astral plane, you know, like one hundred percent. If you can, if you can engage with your spiritual practices in such a way that you can access Saturn, it, he's not lost forever, and he's he's not lost. He's not lost at all. It's just that on the surface or in ordinary reality, he is literally out of his depth and unavailable. Right, and it's interesting because in my like personal sort of astrology little group of weirdos um we've been doing a collective saturn we call it a saturn sadhana but you could um call it any kind of like a, a spiritual devotional practice to saturn for the last ever since he entered pisces like impartially for this reason because you're not gonna get the normal obvious saturnian structure to work with but you get the creativity of pisces you get the courage of Pisces. You get the um, internal sense of what is right for you. Um, and so trying to draw out those principles <laughs> is going to be really helpful, I think, for navigating whatever comes up in Aquarius in the next, especially two years in this big announcement phase. Um, so I definitely... I don't think it's by any means inherently a negative transit. I think it's a creative one. I think it's going to offer a lot of like really interesting opportunity to remake this part of our life um, and to, to figure out who we are in community and what our voice is. Um, so, yeah. All right. So I want to segue here, but I don't want to leave Pluto and Aquarius behind because the other big transit is Jupiter moving into Gemini. And I know that the first thing that happens when Jupiter moves into Gemini is this sextile to Pluto in Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I'm wondering, without even starting to talk about Jupiter and Gemini, which I think maybe we'll do for like five or 10 minutes, but what do you make of this first welcoming aspect? And maybe you have to talk about Jupiter and Gemini in order to talk about the influence on Pluto. But what are you making of that? I think... I'm viewing it as the most, the, the first really hopefully inherently positive like aspect to Pluto in Aquarius. And I say that not, not intending to mean that everything else about it is negative, but I think Jupiter interacting with Pluto is going to bring the most inherently positive collaboration. Um, and I think it's just going to be fun. And a lot of Jupiter trying to be like, that's a crazy idea. Do you need some money for that idea? Like, <laughs> I love 
<laughs> that's no one's ever I've never heard of that before let's let's do it you know like I think there's gonna it's gonna be a lot of like synergistic collaboration around like really really weird funky ideas um and I think everyone is going to like there's going to be this sense of diving in and but I think there'll be a quick burnout like (laughs) it's going to be two months of just like frenzied engagement with like people you haven't seen in a long time and new ideas and how can we make this happen and how can we da 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 and it's a lot of I think Jupiter moving at the speed of Mercury right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Um, which is part of why traditionally Jupiter is not considered to be super strong in Gemini because um, because of the speed at which Mercury moves. There's a there's a sort of cap on how deep Jupiter can go. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but I it's think it's a lot for- of fast food that tastes really good but doesn't actually nourish. <laughs> Which is fine for like two weeks. And then all of a sudden you realize how depleted you are. Yes. And like you've somehow, you know, agreed to collaborate with like a hundred people. Right. And you're like, there's (laughs) only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, But but I think it's going to be fun. Well, and what that makes me want to talk about a little bit is Aquarius as a problem solver. And you talked about in the beginning that there's a lot of breakthroughs in astrology that happen during Pluto in Aquarius. And I think there's just like a lot of breakthroughs in terms of like information and science that happen when Pluto's in Aquarius and ways of problem solving. And I think Pluto and Capricorn showed us a lot of problems, but not a lot of solutions. And I'm optimistic that there are going to be crazy ideas, solutions we never thought of before, or like entirely new systems of science and medicine and technology that even as soon as this year with that Jupiter and Gemini trance, like, okay, let's put some funding towards that. Let's see what we can do. Um, I'm wondering what your take is on that. Yeah, I think that, I think you're exactly right. And I think that the initial ingress of Jupiter into Gemini hitting that trine is just going to feel like a frenzy of trying to support good ideas. Um, but yeah, <laughs> let's listen to the Aquarius, like, let's find the Aquarius stellium people <laughs> and elevate their ideas because, <laughs> oh, it's me, everybody elevate my ideas, <laughs> run, for, um, run for Congress because there is, like, I should, just... I should be in fucking politics. Honestly, didn't see that one coming. It was a future I couldn't no. see. Let me tell you, it's, it's Pluto and Aquarius. Here I, am. here I am. It's my Jupiter's two degrees. So, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. you're the benefit, the public benefactor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I am definitely seeing the the danger that you're talking about, though, of the um, like P- Pluto and Capricorn just smashed two pieces, every last ounce of our belief, faith, um, <laughs> you know trust trust in any authority system figure like governance you know it's all gone right and probably you know that's for many good reasons um but the level of engagement in the mistrust is like you know radically different depending upon who who you're talking to what group of people you're talking to you know there's 
there's like appropriate mistrust there's like wild levels of conspiratorial mistrust um and then pluto and aquarius is going to be poking everybody to trying to try to solve to try to rebuild upon a foundation of mistrust so Mm. we need to listen to the people who like have really understood the problems that have been revealed you know (laughs) who have done the research i feel that aquarius stellium people tend to have just so much integrity about their ideas and like a really genuine desire to make everything better for like to innovate in a way that is supportive to the most amount of people um and a lot of times that can cause issues where it's like they're so committed to the idea that they will like push out um anything that doesn't kind of fit into or like challenges the idea <laughs> okay I'm feeling you don't very, know what you're I'm talking about very on blast right now <laughs> i've never been that close to an aquarius to experience that <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I do love the, like, the integrity and the just the, the commitment to the idea and the commitment to understanding the whole picture. Cause there is a like real systematic, uh, way of, of approaching information and problem solving that kind of emanates out of Aquarius, I think. Yeah. I always think of Aquarius and I stole this from Anne Orderly, so it's not my own thought, but like being 20,000 feet above sea level, like Aquarius, that's the detachment that is so useful is that you're not in it. You're observing it from above. And because of that, you have a holistic understanding of exactly what's going on. Right. But the danger to that is you are detached. And so even though you can see how to fix the problem, you don't understand what it's like to be in the middle of it getting it fixed. And so the solutions might work, but the cost of the solutions sometimes doesn't take into account the humanity required or the suffering or the, so it's, it's a, it's, that's like the cold detached scientist archetype of Aquarius too, which is like, yeah, I can put you back together, but you're never going to be the same again. And, and is it worth it? You know, like I can fix it, but is it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating to me. And as someone with an Aquarius moon, I feel really connected to this particular struggle, you know, the, the viewpoint that the detachment gives you, um, but the way it kind of forces you out of emotional engagement on a level that people want to expect from you. Yeah, totally. I I was just reading, um, a, a New York times article this morning where I was like, this is the, wildest like pluto not the wildest but almost just like such a good example of a pluto and aquarius announcement right so oh what was it so this tech rich tech fellow um got some wild idea that he wanted to establish like a town he wanted to build like a kind of utopian city in the middle of uh central california and for the last i don't know it was maybe five to ten years he has in secret without revealing his identity bought up 
all of this land in this area where he would like to create this like futuristic utopian town and he's generated all of this sort of fear amongst the people who live there and like these wild um people didn't know who he was or what he wanted or what he was doing and he you know did his best to buy all the land he could he had some holdouts some people who were saying no like i want to keep my farm i want to you know live the way i've always lived which is like this very pluto in capricorn vibe you know of like land acquisition totally and i think it was just this past weekend where he held a um town hall meeting and revealed his identity as this like utopian futurist guy who wants to establish a new town and it's for the best of humanity like we need this we need more housing this is how we have to think about the future we have to build new cities we can't just you know try to fix the ones that exist we have to start something new and you know all of these people being like but dude like you sued me for you know for blocking this idea like we live here we care about this place like this is our farm and he's like but like this is this is such a small right he's like fuck your farm yeah. i can yeah. see the future and it's this and it's going to be better but like just like who cares about your farm that's so aquarius right it's like yes. this is going to be so much better for everyone you just have to suck it up yep wow exactly. that is such a good i that's mean that wild. story in and of itself is such a good metaphor for so much of what we're dealing with yeah yeah all right, I'm aware of the time, so I feel like let's, how should we do this? I, I want to talk like five minutes of Jupiter and Gemini. Yeah, let's do it. And then we'll, and then we'll bring it in for a landing. Okay. Go for it. So let's return to Jupiter and Gemini, a little bit of uh, buoyancy, a little bit of positivity to round yes. out this conversation, <laughs> because even though traditionally I know like Gemini is not Jupiter's favorite sign, there are other systems where we can actually, at least in like the early stages of Gemini, like Jup there's a lot Jupiter can do, you know? Oh, yeah. So uh, give us some good news, Christina, about Jupiter and Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to feel for a lot of people, especially this June to early July window, like a return to a feeling of, connection and sociability and i don't want to say normalcy because i don't want to wade into that whole doesn't exist normalcy yeah. is normalcy is gone that's pluto and aquarius not, yes right. your, your <laughs> yeah. normal doesn't exist anymore yeah. Bye, Felicia. exactly but um but i just think it's going to it's going to be a feel like a breath of fresh air for folks and maybe even a kind of a break from the seriousness and the weight that we've all been feeling as culture for so many years. Um, and I think, I think the, the brightness windows will sort of uh, bubble up throughout Jupiter's year long transit. But I just think that initial ingress is going to be one of the best and brightest. Like I, I think people are going to have access to fun and lightness in a way that they haven't, we haven't in a long time um so i think it's going to be really lovely i also think it's one of the first um not the first but a very big 
uh, I think it's a highlighted transit because we're in the age of air now. And that started, you know, with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction or Jupiter, excuse me, we're in the age of air now. And that started with the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so the air signs are magnified. Yeah. They've and I just got... want to spell that out for everybody. So because Jupiter and Saturn were conjunct in Aquarius, that marked the beginning of the age of air, correct? Yes. Yes. And it was early degrees of Aquarius, right? Yeah, I think it was zero degrees zero yeah so do you so sorry to go down this rabbit hole but like do you think pluto hitting that degree there's something there too like that's already yes yeah Marinated. yeah i think there's just a huge amount of power in ideas right now um more so than usual because of the triplicity uh wheel that we've spun we've landed in the age of air yeah, yeah. and um so we're in air, we're talking about dispersal. So we're breaking up old structures that are no longer useful to us. We're creating space, we're bringing ideas. Um, and so I think absolutely Pluto moving into Aquarius is emphasized because of the age that we're in. But I think Jupiter's um, move into Gemini is going to bring this inherently uh, fun, positive, sweet, um, and uh, ingenious quality that will uh, be emphasized and, and, and blessed with extra power because of the age that we're in. And um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a time to try a lot of different things. You know, Pluto and Aquarius is taking us into places we're not, we've never been before. <laughs> and it might be the first moment when we're like, okay, let's, 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 let's figure out what's here. Let's try things. Let's, you know, talk to people about what's going on. Let's air out our ideas and find that we're not going to get struck by lightning for being different, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, or, I love that. Or that we will get struck by lightning yeah. and that'll be okay. Yes. <laughs> we'll just accumulate its power and move forwards. Yeah. 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 And I just love that connection to that Gemini curiosity, you know, and like the need for us all to to follow that curiosity in our own lives and really, you know, like you're saying, collectively try new things. And I feel like everyone also just like pushing themselves beyond their comfort zones in ways that maybe um, do force them to confront some fears, but in a way that isn't so terrifying. Right. Yeah, Jupiter will be there supporting and saying, no, no, like, you got this. Here's some resources. Here's some encouragement. Jupiter has a kind of guru vibe as well you know sometimes i think yeah. of him as the rich uncle sometimes <laughs> i think of him as the guru um but he's you know got some wisdom to bestow and he's not gonna get he's not gonna have the time maybe to go as deep as he would normally go but i think that might be to our benefit right now when there's so many we're in a time where there's going to be so many ideas flying around we gotta kind of try them all out for size. see what sticks yeah yeah and jupiter is going to have a quality of being able to uh 
get fairly deep fairly quickly so we can get a sense of it and then say, you know, yeah, this is working for me or, or no, you know, move on quickly. I'm feeling into as well, like the unwieldy quality of Aquarius in terms of like groups that are too big to entirely engage with. Like it's, it's yeah. humanity. It's the collective. Whereas Gemini is like your neighborhood. It's like small groups. It's less unwieldy. It's more like it, it doesn't have the same power as like everybody on the same page as yeah. Aquarius, but there's something very nourishing about that as well. So it's like, okay, Jupiter is going to introduce you to like some new people or like connect you to your neighborhood so that like you feel at least safe or like connected in the microcosm when the macrocosm feels like hard to see even in this like changeable yeah. time. Absolutely. Like you need real tangible people on your side not just an idea of everybody out there <laughs> yeah yeah and maybe like offline a little bit like aquarius yes. is so online and so much technology that jupiter and gemini feels like a block party you know it's like let's yes. actually like be with each other in the flesh and remember what that's about yeah i always you know i think about this a lot in our current era and it's so easy to connect with ideals because we have so much more access to discourse, you know, through the internet and everybody's ideas, everybody's take, you know, whether shallow or deep, we have our choice. Um, but you can't put any ideals into motion unless you can get along with people. That's really, and that's so beautifully said, Christina. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing is that uh, we're all people here. Yeah, and, and we if have we can't to... respect and engage with each other, it doesn't matter how brilliant your idea is, dude. Dude, in Central California, trying to create your city. <laughs> yes. Um. All right, Christina, you're so fantastic. I think we could talk to you all day, hmm. and we will have you back. We will keep oh, talking yay. astrology with you. Um, I would love that. But I think we should let the gazers know how they can find you. Because I just want to say, I've had a reading with Christina and it was really fucking good. So I know you give readings and you also have the podcast. So just tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Thank you so much. Um, so I have my astrology practice and all the information about it can be found on my website, which is um, www.skiesofgrace.com. Um and then I have a podcast, which is currently on Apple Podcasts. And we also have a Substack community around the podcast where you can um, sign up and receive updates, um, receive some of my writings, which I'm going to be doing more of this year. Pluto demands it. Mm -hmm. um, the podcast is called Skies and Currents because it's a collaboration between me and my best friend. Um, I'm Skies of Grace, and she has a spiritual community called Inner Currents. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, we're but also skies, skies and, currents. and currents feels very like we're talking about astrology too. Yeah, like, it's perfect. Yes, yeah, it's very, very good. It's very Age of Air. <laughs> um, <laughs> the po the podcast is new, but we I think we're like hitting our stride, and I'm loving it. And it's weekly, so um, yeah, find us on Substack or Apple Podcasts. I will get it on the Spotify once I can focus and figure out um how to do that so amazing <laughs> yes thank you well, guys thank so you. much oh christina thank, thank you. you i know everyone's gonna love this episode because you have a great way of making 
very big concepts, very approachable. And that is a gift. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you guys. And it's just, just lovely. And I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> Yay. Well, we were so grateful for that talk. Thank you again, Christina, for taking the time to speak with us about it in such a beautiful way. Um, and definitely make sure you check out Christina's podcast, Skies and Currents. Well, we will definitely have her back. There's much more astrology to unpack, and I very much like doing it with her. Uh, but let us now transition into our tarot card of the episode. So just take a moment, get centered, drop into your heart. And just connecting the cards by listening into the sound of them being shuffled and just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. And I'm going to let Angel pull the card today since the moon is in Cancer without that opposition to Pluto for the first time in a very long time. Hallelujah. And since Angel is our resident Cancer moon, we'll use all of his intuitive powers to pull the exact correct card for us that we need until we meet again. So the card that Angel has pulled is the Six of Cups, which is a beautiful, beautiful card. Sixes in the tarot, they're expansions, and cups are all about the heart, emotions, creativity, very relational. And so this is an expansion of the heart, but it's also an expansion of the heart through healing. It's like creating a greater capacity for yourself. And the thing that's pictured in the card is a figure, you, handing a cup of tenderness, or in this case, it's a cup full of like flowers, to a younger, smaller figure, also you, your inner child. And so what we see here is the opportunity to kind of grow the heart in doing things for our younger or our more vulnerable, quiet selves that we maybe weren't able to do back when those moments happened. And it represents like a, a greater capacity to trust and to love and to connect. And there is this very interesting paradox about our capacity to like feel love and to feel joy. And as somebody who is still moving through a pretty major grief portal, I can speak to this quite uh, with a lot of experience. The more pain and despair and suffering that we allow ourselves to experience, it hollows us out. And yet what then happens is to the extent that we allow ourselves to be hollowed out by all of that despair is the same extent that we can then be filled up by joy and love and connection. And so sometimes we've experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma, a lot of pain when we were young, when we were growing up, and we don't want to engage with it because it just feels too dangerous, too painful. And yet it's our willingness to engage with those wounded children inside of ourselves that actually allow for a greater connection to joy, to savoring the moment, to being filled up by the beautiful experiences that also populate our existence. And so until we meet again, it's a friendly reminder to do the work that needs to be done to go about doing good healing around your heart so that your life is more joyful, more robust, more buoyant. And that's not love and light washing. That's not, you know, only paying attention to what's good in your life. It's knowing that by healing what hurts you helps you feel the joy with less complication moving forwards. And that, Hannies is the Six of Cups. You know what else that is? What? Bring the inner healer. Oh, it's inner healer. 
Yeah, it's actually it's right? actually a really good card. <laughs> you know what? We'll use we'll use this card in our workshop. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was so apropos for that. It really is, and very beautifully told. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. This whole thing is just me and my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you share the experience well. All right, kitty cats. So you know where to find us. Go to our website, thespiritualgaze.com. Sometimes we show up on Instagram and Angel is generous enough to repost it to TikTok because we're elder millennials. Let's be real. I'm not even an elder millennial. Are you not? No, I'm like Gen Xer, I think. Are you? Well, I'm a Xennial. Oh. I'm in the in-between. Mmm, sexy. <laughs> Any hoodle. As we said, we've got our in-person workshop, uh, so feel free to sign up for that. Uh, I am still open for readings and healings. I've been giving a ton of your head tarot spreads, and the truth is I'm not tired of it yet. So uh, if you'd like to book one of those, please do. And until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual.